Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast in the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thank you for joining us. Sorry for being out last week. My entire family was hit by a bout of, honestly, I don't really know what it was. It was some sort of illness that hit everyone in my family. But uh, back and healthy again for this week. And two topics I'd like to discuss today, both dealing with the chip industry. No, not the potato chip industry. I'm talking about semiconductors, the chips you find in smartphones and PCs and just generally what makes technology possible. And joining us is our resident chip expert, the illustrious Ian King, kind enough to join us this morning from San Francisco. Hi, Ian. Uh, Alex, how are you doing? Good. First topic is a deal that's been going on for a few months now, and even though it's sizable, it hasn't quite captured the interest of the American public yet. It hasn't it hasn't captured the zeitgeist, but I know Ian will change this right now. Toshiba is selling its memory chip business. And Ian, maybe this is a bit of a saga, so let's start at the top here. What is Toshiba and why are they doing this? Okay, well, I mean, a lot of people will have heard the Toshiba name and associated them with, you know, some of the electronic products that uh, Toshiba has, has, you know, right, televisions. over the years, right? But really, I mean, this this is a basically one of Japan's largest sort of electronics conglomerates. Really, one of the the last great sort of Japanese electric, com, you know, electronics manufacturers from from the heyday of the of the 80s and, and early 90s. Um, and and so, in that sense, it's it's an important company um, for historical reasons. Why they're in this particular position is because they got ambitious. They got ambitious in the nuclear power generation industry. Bought Westinghouse. Remember those guys? And you know, really tried to to make an an expansion at a time when that didn't make sense. When nuclear power was actually falling out of favor with the various governments around the world that that you know would, might have been its customers, and and really that by to something of a disaster and fell behind on projects. And really, you know, Westinghouse they had to put it into Chapter Eleven. Now, as an overall corporation, they're facing this enormous cash call that they really can't cover. So, hence their interest in selling the crown jewels, which is their memory chip business. So, just for a little bit of clarity here, yeah. Toshiba says it expects to book a net loss of $9.9 billion for the current fiscal year on yeah. Westinghouse alone. You right. mentioned they wanted, they were a bit ambitious. What was the was there any synergistic thinking at the time about why Toshiba wanted to buy Westinghouse with the rest of their business? Or is this very much an example of why you don't buy businesses that are out of your core competency? Well, I mean, it, you know, I'm sure when they bought it, they made a very good case for this. You know, there's things like domain expertise, like Japan obviously has, you know, nuclear power. Um, its nearby neighbor, Korea, is one of the largest users of nuclear power. So there's some domain expertise there. But really, what you have to understand here, Alex, is, you know, Japan and, and, and Korea, which followed it, have these business groups which where they, where they try to build one core competency and then use the cash that they spin off to fund another effort. And that's been how a lot of these groups um, were created and, and how they expanded. You know, they, they do things like Samsung in Korea, like Toshiba, like Mitsubishi in, in Japan. They do things that aren't necessarily related. And for us in the U.S., with, you know, a much more siloed economy, much more domain expertise, that seems crazy. But for them, it's worked as a business model and an allocation of capital, or it does work until you make the wrong bet and you get a way out ahead of your skis and, and hit the ground pretty hard like Toshiba has done here. And we should mention Toshiba, that deal was back in, uh, or at least first reported 
maybe back in 2005 and then agreed yeah. to in 2006 for yeah. about $5 billion or so, dollars, 5 to $6 billion at the time. Okay, so uh, let's talk about the memory chip business. Right, um, so that's a topic close to your heart, right? Yes, it is, very. Well, it has become close to my heart over the past couple of months of reporting this story, certainly with your help in explaining to me exactly why, and maybe you can do this for our listeners, where the memory chip business fits within the larger Toshiba company and why this particular business is so valuable. Memory chips, basically, uh, this particular type of memory chips, if you've got an iPhone, if you've got a modern laptop, the, the, the medium which the information that you prize, your songs, your data, uh, is stored on in those devices is memory chips. Okay, non-flash memory. Toshiba is actually the inventor of that um, and, and so has a very important role in the industry and is the second largest maker. Demand for those chips is going absolutely crazy. Obviously, we have more than a billion smartphones a year that are full of these chips, but increasingly these chips are being used in the data centers, the Amazon Web Services, the, the Googles, because the chips are really, really fast at storing information and, and fast at retrieving information, faster than and much more stable than those old magnetic disks that you remember from your desktop computer days. For sure, right. The, this is, are we talking the SSDs here, solid-state right. drives? Solid right, solid-state drives, yep. yeah. And, and the, the, the industry this year has been on a tear because we've had a, a dearth of investment in new capacity. The technology is actually getting harder, so less and less of, you know, relatively speaking, the increasing rate of production hasn't matched the increasing rate of demand. So the price of these chips has gone up. It's a great business to be in right now. You mentioned they were the second largest. Who was the largest? Samsung. Samsung. Okay. So that brings us to who is interested in buying this business and what are they offering? Okay, well, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly protracted tale, but uh, according to our colleagues in um, Japan recently, they reported that the leading two bidders are Broadcom, which is uh, in, in name a U.S. company, but really based out of Singapore. And this is a company which is basically an agglomeration of various acquisitions that we've seen happening in the chip industry over the last couple of years. Uh, KKR is the other supposedly lead bidder. We know those guys as being a, a private equity company. Um, and then it becomes a bit fuzzy. Then we have a group of Japanese, uh, so-called the, the Japanese group, where we've got Innovation Network Corp of Japan, the Development Bank of Japan, basically uh, a, an attempt by various financial interests in Japan to keep Toshiba Japanese. Then we have uh, Honhai Precision Industry. We know those guys. Uh, they're famous for being Apple's contract manufacturer. Foxconn is what people know That's right. That. Yep. Uh, you, you got it. And then we've got South Korea's uh, SK Hynix, which is the third largest maker of memory chips. And those guys are obviously looking to make a lateral uh, move and get bigger. All right. So there's a whole bunch of potential buyers here. What's interesting about this deal to me is that there's a there's a... a important element of nationalism that seems to be a part of this because all of the buyers you just mentioned there KKR is a US based private equity company Broadcom is a as you said sort of Singapore slash US company Avago bought Broadcom you might remember a couple of years ago that company is now called Broadcom but that was a huge deal that was in fact the biggest tech deal I believe of all time at the time it was announced for about 37 billion dollars that's right uh, you you mentioned there's the Hynix is South Korean then there's this uh, a, a Japanese conglomerate. So uh, is is the reason that so so? Anyways, taking a step back here, yeah. there seems to be some 
um, potential. Oh, by the way, we didn't even talk really about Western Digital, which owns sort of uh, 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 which which feels like it should have first negotiation rights in this because it actually owns right, a right. piece of the business uh, already. Um, so there's a bunch of different buyers from a bunch of different countries. I think what what I'm trying to get at here is because this is a Japanese business, there in Japan, maybe more even than other countries, there is sort of a a national element that says we don't want this business to get out of the hands of Japan. It was homegrown in Japan, and therefore, if we can, we'd like to steer it. This is the Japanese government speaking. We'd like to steer it in the hands of another Japanese buyer, but. Is it so clear cut that that will happen here, or is it possible that Toshiba will have to sell this out of the country? Right. I mean, that's that's one of the major questions that you, you obviously identified a very important part here. Quick history lesson: in the 1990s, Japan was the world's leading semiconductor country. Right, three, four of the top. Uh, semiconductor producers in a $300 billion industry were Japanese. They led in technology, they led in sales, and, and you know, they, they're enormously important in Japan's industrial growth. They basically withered on the vine to the point where the only company that's left with leading-edge production, with leading-edge technology, with a strong market position is Toshiba. So literally, if Toshiba goes into foreign ownership, that's it for Japan in the semiconductor industry. And as we've seen in other countries, the chip industry obviously is lucrative, but more importantly than that, it has security implications. You know, the ability to manufacture these chips at a leading edge can be enormously important for making military hardware. The U.S. is fiercely jealous about protecting its its manufacturing, so is South Korea. The last thing anybody wants is for that manufacturing to end up in uh, China or other countries where they have a, a sort of contentious security relationship with. Clearly, China has a lot of um, ambitions in this industry. You and I have spoken about this, and you and I have reported about just how much money they're prepared to spend to do this. So nationalism, yes, that's definitely part of it, but there's also serious security concerns as well. So that makes this deal much more complicated. And on the flip side, as you mentioned, this is de- this is a desperate situation for Toshiba. Time is running out. They they would sign a deal tomorrow. They would take the cash as a corporation to stay alive. They would take the money tomorrow. But the Jap- but at the same time, they're going to have to get this through the you know the Japanese ministry approvals, and and doing that is not going to be easy. Originally, the, this deal was only for a minority stake in the memory right. chip business, which was sort of an easier sell yep. from a governmental standpoint. They That has changed, I think, in part because the buyers didn't want a minority stake. They wanted at least a majority stake. Do we know, Ian, is this for 51% or is it for the entire business now? It, it's Well, as far as we understand it, it's the entire business. And if you're from a buyer's perspective, you, you nailed it. There's no point in fund because this is a commodity industry, basically. A chip that Toshiba makes can be made can be substituted for one that Samsung makes, can be substituted for one that Hynix makes. So if you're any of its competitors, why would you want to prop up a a competitor? Better to let them die and pick up the sales with your own production. So the only reason to buy their facilities, to buy their business, is to get the whole thing, is to get control, to increase your market share, to have a better shot at competing with Samsung. So that's that's the tension there, right? Japan might be more amenable, Japan Inc. might be more amenable to letting a slice of this go, but from a buyer's perspective, it's kind of all or nothing. 
And what would be left of Toshiba, assuming the sale goes through? Um, the, well, there, there are various other businesses. Um, it has, I mean, we talk and talk about the memory chip business because that's basically its crown jewel. But there is another um, <clears throat> business within the chip business that makes like custom-made chips and things called ASICs, Application Specific Integrated Circuits. I, I know you love that term. Um, <laughs> Who doesn't? Specific, they're very specific. But it, it has, I mean, if you look at... They have, you know, a device and component business. They have this power and infrastructure business. They have healthcare, home appliances, real estate. You know, this is a a traditional old-school Japanese conglomerate. Yeah, Yeah. with with all kinds of things going on in there. But, you know, if, if you want money, if you want revenue out of Toshiba, you want this memory chip business. Okay, so uh, let's put the, let's, let's move forward a little bit in time. Yep. Um, Is there any sort of timeline on when the five or six bidders we already mentioned will be culled down to a shorter list than when an ultimate winner may be revealed here? Yeah, I mean, we, there's a there's a shareholders meeting coming up in June. Um, and again, we don't know this for sure, but the speculation is that Toshiba really needs to get the, the you know the train running on the tracks here if if this if it's got a chance to get this through all of the approval processes all of the negotiations and get this done in a time that's going to be meaningful for its over, overall financial situation so i i you know uh, we've done some reporting on this and and i think you know stay tuned would be the uh, the way i would i'm sorry to be a bit coy but we you know we obviously have to be careful here but we we you know this is definitely pressing this is definitely immediate and you know we're working pretty hard to make sure that our readers are going to know something soon on this. Speaking of Bloomberg scoops, Ian, you had one this past week that I also want to talk about, also in in the semiconductor world, uh, and that has to do with a company called NVIDIA. Uh, The first scoop was that SoftBank had bought a 4.9% stake in NVIDIA. Uh, SoftBank, of course, the Jap- another Japanese company, sort of a notable Japanese company, uh, also in various different businesses. Uh, they've made a big investment in uh, technology and in semiconductors. They bought ARM uh, last year, uh, a big deal. They also, of course, own 80% of Sprint, so you've heard us mention SoftBank on the show before. Why is SoftBank interested in NVIDIA? Okay, well, the, the, there's two things. That, I mean, Masayoshi's son, the CEO, I mean, he, he basically said he wants to become the world's biggest technology investor. That's no small ambition, but to back it up, he's got, you know, close to $100 billion of money that he's got from other companies, other funds, sovereign wealth funds in the Middle East and so forth, and called the Vision Fund, and he's, he's going after it. Um, in terms of what he invests in, Massa, as, as we know, talks big. Um, you know, he talks about, I want to invest in the future. One of the f- futures that he sees is a world that's absolutely riddled with artificial intelligence. If there's been a winner so far in the sort of AI breakout or for the chip industry, which are going to provide the guts of all of these intelligent systems, it's been NVIDIA. NVIDIA's actually shown revenue, shown revenue increasing very quickly. And that company is also run by an enormously ambitious and, and visionary guy, a guy called Jensen Huang, who founded the company. If there was ever going to be a meeting of minds and personalities in terms of drive and vision and, and, and attitude, it would be between those two guys. So it makes very, you know, very much makes sense from, from Massa's strategy to be looking at taking you know, an, an interest in NVIDIA. Right. Another thing we've talked about on the show is SoftBank's $100 billion vision fund, which you mentioned there, Ian. Yeah. Uh, is your, we had a, there was a second scoop that you helped report 
uh, on Friday of this past week, which was that SoftBank is now interested in taking an even bigger stake in NVIDIA. Right. Uh, do we know yet how the fund will play into this? Do we feel like the fund will ultimately take over this stake? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question because there's there's a there's obviously a lot of uncertainty which we're trying to do our best to, to clip right now. If you take a wide, you take a 4.9%, Alex. I mean, what what's the reason for that? That's uh, that's not a number that, that came out of thin air. That's specifically because it's the maximum amount you can take without being uh, obliged by regulators to declare what you're up to, um, to actually say that you own the stake and to say, this is why I have the stake. Um, so we reported that initially, then we reported, oh, guess what, they intend to take more, so hello, where, where are they going with this? They're obviously going to have to go public with this. Then we get a statement out of them saying, look, when we do these investments, we do them in a collaborative way. We're taking an interest in the companies, you know, we're along for the, the long term, we're along for a ride here. So this looks very much like... In, at least NVIDIA and SoftBank have been talking to each other that, that you know, that this isn't a, a quick in and out to make money in a stock that's obviously run very strongly as much as NVIDIA has. So, so that's as much as we have publicly in terms of where, um, where we might be going with this, how much of a stake they might be taking. The other flip side of this, which, which a colleague of ours, you know, reminded everybody in the column was, ARM has tremendous value because everybody uses ARM designs, everybody uses ARM technologies. If you were to pair ARM with one chip company, maybe that value goes away. So there's, a, there's kind of a balancing act going on here. There's a lot of uncertainty, and obviously we're very keen to, to try and uh, untangle uh, some of that uncertainty. And by the way, even though the fund is $100 billion, if we're talking about an all-out takeover of NVIDIA, that sounds unlikely. And in fact, we were steered away from that in our reporting because NVIDIA alone is like an $80 billion company. Um, 87, yeah. Yes, exactly. So uh, I wouldn't expect that. But interestingly, uh, sort of as opposed to the Toshiba transaction where the buyer wants the entire business, here SoftBank and the SoftBank fund seem very content on just taking minority stakes in a lot of business. What do you think the strategy behind that is? Well, I mean, the obvious answer is that they're spreading their bets. Um, When you are I mean, I, I said NVIDIA was an early, just to give you an example, NVIDIA is being perceived as being in the lead, but it's, it's, it's revenue from self-driving cars, it's revenue from um, data centers where there's a lot of the artificial workloads being done by GPUs, that, the graphics chip processors that NVIDIA makes. It doesn't come to more than half a billion dollars. When you look at the overall scale of the, of the chip industry at, at more than $300 billion on, a, on an annual basis, Clearly, we're just beginning to scratch the surface, so it would make sense if you thought that NVIDIA was a first mover and a possible winner to take a stake in them. But are you going to bet the farm on them winning and on them beating companies like Qualcomm, on beating companies like Intel that are much bigger? Absolutely not, not at this stage anyway. So, so it makes perfect sense for, for Massa, who's making these you know, 20, 30-year, he says 100-year bets, um, to, to, to be taking... You know, a substantial stake, but not to be betting everything on them. Bloomberg expert, semiconductor reporter Ian King joining us from San Francisco. Ian, thank you very much, uh, and I hope that that was informative and enjoyable for you. Thanks, Ian. Thanks. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Deal of the Week. As always, you can catch our episodes on iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts. 
I should say now, uh, or Bloomberg.com or the Bloomberg Terminal. Follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Ian, where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, it's, uh, my handle is Ian M. King. Ian M. King. Also, email me if you have any suggestions for future show guests or topic ideas. You can email me at asherman6 at Bloomberg.net. Sarah Patterson is our producer. Alec McCabe, head of Bloomberg Podcast. See you next week.